Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com I'm as mad as hell and I'm not gonna take this anymore all right we're back welcome to the show Today, Meta Dyberg is the founder and CEO of MyMe, M-Y-M-E-E, MyMe. She's an economist turned diagnostician. I've never heard those words in that order, but you're going to find out what that means. She was, like most of us, misdiagnosed with something crappy for way too long and got just pissed off enough to do something about it and is now like a great advocate paying it forward and helping people just like her. When the software engineer becomes the patient advocate, you get this extraordinarily new platform that identifies dietary and environmental factors that worsen autoimmune disease, and even more so, long-haul COVID symptoms. Recently, Meta led MyMe to acquire Breakthrough Health, the leading platform for multiple sclerosis. She's so damn smart and so damn amazing and so damn Dutch. You're going to fall in love with her. I know I did. So... Without further ado, my conversation with Meta Dyberg. I got a whole bunch of shit to talk about. I don't know what this conversation is going to be. I just love that you're here. I've missed you. You've been busy. You've been busy. I, well, I mean, I've been different busy. You're pregnant. That is true. <laughs> I'm done. My factory's closed. My kids are 12. <laughs> my boyfriend said, I just hope it doesn't come out as an MVP. I don't even want to think about that genetic thing that's going to happen. You are such a nerd. (laughs) Meta, welcome. Thank you. Well, welcome back, but this is your first time here on the air. It's always great to see you, Matthew. Only this time the mic is on. That is true. (laughs) And yet I I was like, have have you been on my show? You're like, no, but you've been in the room. That is true. So we're, we're remedying all of that. Now, I'm grateful to see you. Because we, we, I think we met a year ago, a little more. Yeah, it's about a year. Well, we met again through this whole, like, I'm a startup guy now, and you're a startup person, yeah. and we both come from, like, the shit happens medical background story, and, yeah. you know, we had so much in common, and yet it was different, but it's common, Yeah. right, when healthcare lands on you, and all this crap that you didn't ask for happens, and we're trying to do the right thing in the world, yeah. and uh, I love your mission, because you're here to help people like you. Thank you, and yeah, I think... When you're on these journeys that are really not entrepreneurial journeys to start, but personal journeys, 
it becomes intensely personal. And it also means that the determination, sort of the fire that you that you built with comes out of that need yourself. And I think it makes it very relatable, especially for someone like you who's been in, you've walked those shoes, right? Well, it's like the dopamine hit you never really asked for. When you realize sure. that you can actually help somebody that was like to go through less shit than you went through, yeah. it, that's a nice dopamine hit. Yeah, no, it's true. When do you realize you could do that? So for me, my journey started 10 years ago. And oftentimes I'm a little annoyed at the, oh, but you're such a strong Viking and you just like <laughs> did it. Because I was sick for a couple of decades where I was nowhere near empowered in in my own life. And But 10 years ago, my doctor's team told me they had great news and proceeded to tell me I wasn't going to die in the immediate future. And I had one question, which is, what are we going to do about my process? Little did I know that the answer would change the course of my life because he said, we're happy with your numbers. And as an economist, it was just completely impossible to wrap my head around. And so I left the hospital that day and I started meticulously noting down my life, basically turning my life into numbers before there was such a thing as quantified self. And Wait, wait, uh, wait. Jargon alert. Jargon alert. <laughs> what is quantified self? So quantified self was a movement started by Kevin Kelly and Gary Wolf around the same time. And I became sort of like a family member over the first years of that movement because it really was about turning your life into numbers and learning from it and getting everybody to sort of, I, I want to almost say mobilize, but really to use technology to gain insights. At the time, in the beginning, it was a lot of tech nerds that love data and the more data, the better. And so they were collecting enormous amounts of data on themselves. My quest was a little different because I was extremely focused on how to ask the right questions. Because I felt... You're a data person. I'm a data person, but I felt that the biggest problem was to some extent to figure out how do we get to a place where it becomes easier for people. And what I did was not easy. I basically put every single thing I did, whether it was bathroom breaks or foods or feelings or symptoms, into a massive Excel spreadsheet and build algorithms to decipher what was the causality between what I was doing and how my symptoms were reacting. And so I wanted it to be a lot easier for the next person. And so that was the quest we went on. So I, th I think I know the answer to this question because like your breaking point was when they said you're fine. <laughs> but just, I, I hate to paint broad brushes, but is it really fair to say there is no empathy in medicine in general or you just get bad, bad doctors or, or good doctors that just don't have that in their genes and they're really more mechanics? I think it's fair to say that when you overwork people, the bandwidth becomes sort of shorter. Mm -hmm. And at some point, if you've given a diagnosis a thousand times, for a lot of people, it it becomes... A mechanic. It, you know, I, I have a friend who just had a baby a month ago and she said, well, we've changed the um, whatever pediatrician X amount of times. And I said, oh, how did you know that you'd found the one that you wanted to go with? And she goes, oh, this one actually took my baby and paid attention to what was going on. And I thought to myself, what about all the other ones? Right, yeah, like, but, who else have you been seeing? <laughs> but, but, it, but it's an example, right, of such a small thing as taking the baby and saying, hey, can I feed her to see what is actually the problem with her stomach? How is she reacting? 
And so I don't believe there's such a thing as bad doctors, but I do think that there is a system that's incentivizing people to run faster and faster. And in my own case with autoimmune disease, there really was no sort of like causality that was clear enough for doctors to give you good direction. Right. So they write it off as, but you're fine, get over it. I don't know if I it's ever- It's good enough. <laughs> you're good enough. The thing is with invisible diseases, it's oftentimes good enough, right? Because if you can't help somebody get to an answer, then it's almost like, what am, I, what am I wasting my time on? Yeah. I think one of the things that I have in hindsight thought about a lot is that, you know, many, many, many years ago, there was a very well-renowned doctor in the U.S. who said there's no way the immune system would attack itself. Like humans are perfection. There was no way we would have that flaw built in. Right. Famous last words. Exactly. So for decades, we didn't do any research into autoimmunity. And I think... If we had thought of autoimmune disease the same way as do cancer earlier, like you have prostate cancer, I have breast cancer, but if we told our families we had cancer, nobody would be in doubt that it was the same mechanism. With autoimmune disease, we've talked about it like where in the body was the most essential thing. Mm -hmm. It's not really that different from cancer. If I have breast cancer and I don't go to my doctor for seven years, it's likely to spread. And you could still get misdiagnosed with yeah. cancer, especially younger people, right? 100%. I had someone on the show a couple of weeks ago who started having like weird symptoms at 17 years old. And 10 years later, she was diagnosed with something called Ehlers-Danlos. Ehlers-Danlos. Yeah, I think I said that correct. You said it better than I did. And like, you know- I it, always it, try to top you. Success, <laughs> succeed, well done. And and just the idea of having to, and that was, I'm talking about myself in a sense, because I was misdiagnosed for a year, but just the idea of feeling so defeated and it's not like they can have empathy and say, all right, we're going to figure this out together. It's like, it's all in your head. Go get some mental health counseling. Doesn't really help. I did. I seeked out. I was undiagnosed for seven years and I went to see a psychiatrist hoping for hypochondriac because as you can imagine, the the economist in me just wanted two lines. I actually right. didn't really care what the end result you was. You needed like an, a number at the end of the equal sign. Yeah, it just needed some sort of explanation and it's all in your head and you're crazy. Just didn't feel like that would <laughs> really be my end goal, right? <laughs> I could see the uh, the TV ads now. Are you crazy? <laughs> Take these pills. <laughs> well, there's probably a pill for it today. There is, probably is. What got you into e economistness? What, 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 did, I, I can't speak words. Like what... What is it? You're an economist, right? Yeah. You study the economy. Do you study economy or you study the economy? So I, I guess growing up, I was an, a numbers girl. Like I was always obsessed with numbers. When I was a little kid sitting in the back of the car, other kids are like writing down the number plates and I was sort of multiplying the number plates. Mm. Like I've always liked numbers and it was sort of a place where I felt safe. And then... My father, actually, I had no plans of enrolling in college. In Denmark, it's very common to take like a year off. And I had traveled abroad and was really not planning on going back home. <laughs> but my father sort of thought it would be good with a backup plan. Ah, so, plan B. Plan B. Good day. And so he sent me the enrollment papers. And it made sense because, as he said, if you don't know what you want to do, having sort of like a generalist mathematical degree like this could be used in many different ways. And uh, then my plans fell through and plan B was available and I ended up with a degree that 
have served me very well. I um, have enjoyed both the studying, but also what it has brought me in life since. Did you have a spiritual awakening the first time you discovered Microsoft Excel? <laughs> As everyone will know, yes. that is that is where we truly feel at home. Yes. <laughs> Spreadsheet heaven. Heaven. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so again, so you're an economist who started to number herself as a little girl, multiplying license plates. <laughs> what if there was a letter in the light? Were there letters in the license plates? Yeah, but there's 28 letters, so every letter has a number. Oh my God, you are so the matrix. You are so the matrix. So, all right, so you hit rock bottom when this doctor's like, all right, get over it, you're fine. The numbers look great. And you're like, no, they don't. How did that transform you? What was, I mean, there's a last straw. You said, Jesus, I gotta do something. What'd you do? So the interesting thing is that the most important part from my perspective was really going from being a disempowered patient to being sort of an empowered human being when you decide that I'm gonna take charge. At that point, I had nothing to take charge over. It was essentially a bit of a fuck up at that point. But calling my parents saying, I'm not seeking out any new doctors. I'm not going the path that I had sort of followed up until that point. And revising my mental model. My model up until that point had been, if I just have the best doctors in the world, that equals the best health. Right. And so I had doctors everywhere, specialists everywhere. And in hindsight, it's funny that I didn't revise that mental model earlier, but I didn't. I think it's a typical thing that authorities tell you something and and you go with it, right? It's right. just how it is. But at that moment, it it was not clear to me what I was going to be doing, but I thought at least I need to have some sort of control so that I can share that with whoever I'm going to you know, seek out. Because at that point, I still thought it was going to be me finding some other source of you know, relief somewhere. I remember being told when I was like really sick that you know, when you have no control over something, you can kind of take control over that. Yeah. You, you, she's nodding her head. She's not, it's a radio. <laughs> she's nodding her head. I'm not a good, I'm, I'm not I'm not a I'm not used to radio but I'm I'm used to nodding. I do think that you can you can talk about taking control of sort of that space but in reality the helplessness will always take up space as well, right? Like there's an enormous part of all of our journeys that come down to how helpless we felt in certain situations. But you're right. You do take control in in its in your own weird way, right? Like I always make jokes about like how I was a flaky friend, not because I not a diehard friend, but because if you ask me to anything, it could be a wedding or like a potluck, I would be maybe. Like my response would always, my RSVP would always be maybe because I had no idea if my body would actually withhold my on that on any given day. Well, and your, so, your brain's a shock glass. It only holds so much, right? New information <laughs> goes in, something spills out. Yeah, yeah. So you basically, you're always sort of contemplating how many spoons you have left. And I think that's that's something that it took me a long time to unlearn because I kept having that sort of play in the back of my head for actually years after having sort of in my in my case, reverse my disease symptoms. I was lucky enough that it took me sixteen months in my ex, 
cell heaven to normalize my blood work. I reversed all my disease symptoms. Well, did you actually get a diagnosis eventually of what this was or just a generic autoimmune disorder? So I had six diagnoses plus some Only cardiac. six? Only six, you know. Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> um, I started out already at 14. I woke up psoriasis head to toe. And then throughout my teens, it was clear that there was more going on. I couldn't do the things that normal kids can, but there was no diagnoses associated with it. And we didn't seek out doctors at the time. But in my early 20s, it became clear that I was not feeling like myself in any way, form, and shape. And so I had a small bout with cancer. And then after that, it started to speed up or whatever you would call it. So by 30, I had six diagnoses. And which, did you, you get know, like a little like a like a poster on the wall listing them? Yeah, of course. Like so, a nice a nice Afghan. <laughs> yeah. So in in my case, it was pretty much everything in the sense that psoriasis is the skin, but I also had psoriatic arthritis, so joint involvement. Um, I had um, also colitis, which is stomach related. I had depending on when it was, but most of the time, um, Hashimoto's. But I had both. Hyper and hypo for a long time before I got that diagnosis. You were a catch. I was, a, I really, and the funny thing is, years after, like in therapy, probably 10 years after, someone said, why are you single? And I looked at her like she was the idiot. And I said, why would anyone have me? And she goes, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm damaged goods. And but if, you look great. <laughs> but you look great. <laughs> and in America, that's all that matters. <laughs> no, but it's an, it's an, it's an interesting facet of being a patient, right? I just spoke to a dear girlfriend today who just had sort of a relapse in her RA and she said that being in a new relationship, that had been the hardest part for her to sort of actually let him in on bad days, what that looks like. Wow, that's powerful. Before we go to break, I saw something on your LinkedIn that I, I don't remember looking at before when I was stalking you clearly before the show. You were a trade officer for the Royal Danish Consulate General in Los Angeles. What is that? I got to know. So a trade officer is essentially someone who is helping promote businesses from home abroad. And generally, you are at the end of your career. You've done the big jobs and you're now out sort of doing the sweet gig in, in sunny California. But in my case, it sort of was turned completely upside down because I did an internship in my master's program. And um, after the internship, we had built this report on like the wireless status in America and it became a bestseller and the foreign ministry is not really used to bestsellers. So I ended up getting a job, a local placement. And so I worked for a couple of years in California before I started working in New York. Did they have Microsoft Excel? No, but we, I helped build a complete suite in Lotus Note at the time. Lotus Notes. My <laughs> goodness. We're old. We are old. <laughs> but I will say, working for the foreign ministry, the most mind-blowing thing still to date is that when you're work working in the foreign mission, everything has to be journaled. Two pieces of paper in the actual building and two pieces go back to the motherland. This was pretty much the year we started emailing. So I basically got an assistant that... The primary gig was really to print out an enormous amount of copies of every email. And back in those days, you, you'd write OK. Right. That was it. <laughs> Four copies, journal stamps, dates, signatures, the whole shebang, and two copies back to Denmark. 
All right, we're going to come back after the break from these words from Microsoft Excel and Lotus Notes. We'll be right back. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Let's get to the gist of why you're here which is obviously because, you know, we love each other and we love to see each other. But, you know, your startup efforts, which started, I think, 2017, 2016, a long time ago, have very clearly paid off. Let's talk about why did you want to start up? What bet did you lose to enter this space of startup land? Well, so I lost that bet a long, long time ago. <laughs> I had my first businesses as a teenager. And so this is actually my fifth venture. But for me, healthcare was first. And I will say that you'd, you'd really have to have something wrong with your head to enter this space mm -hmm. because the alignment. I and represent that. <laughs> but I will say that for me, it came down to sort of, I think everything comes down to a moment of truth. And I went to see my doctors with my little computer with all my data actually naively anticipating that somebody would go, oh my God, if you were able to do this, maybe we can help others. N not the reception I got, on the contrary, didn't really have any interest in looking at my data. And they even had the, I don't know what you call it, <laughs> the balls to say, well, if you could reverse it in an Excel spreadsheet, then you weren't sick in the first place. And so the entrepreneur in me, always easy to make a, a good deal. So I took out my hand and I said, I'll take that deal. And my doctor looked at me and he goes, what deal? I said, you just told me that it's all in my head and I'm expecting that that means it could go off the EHR, in which case the foreigner with you know seven pre-existing conditions could actually benefit from an insurance point of view. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. You've had way too much organ involvement and this and that and the other for us to remove it from the EHR. And I was like, that doesn't seem fair. Sort of like it was the first time that I understood what a shit sandwich actually means. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the first time. Yeah. You Not know, watching Thor 2. 
I've never watched Thor. All right, you're not missing out. <laughs> but it's um, but it's one of those moments where you sort of go, huh? And then I sort of got pissed. And the I think right that, kind of anger. I think that's what it is. It comes down to that one moment where you just like hold on. This just does not seem right or fair or whatever it is that that you're feeling in that very moment. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was what started this journey. It was really this, wow, if somebody had the solution and let me rot for 20 years without sharing, that just does not seem right. Yeah, because how many other women or, or men or, or human beings are dealing with this invisible illness, not getting taken seriously and realize that they could do something for themselves that, you know, th- like – yeah, your body is still carbon and nitrogen and oxygen and all these things. And it's possible that if you take care of yourself and do different things and maybe not eat Twinkies, not a sponsor, Twinkies not a sponsor, you could reverse a couple of things. We're not curing anything. We're just making your body operate the way it's naturally supposed to. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing for me is I, I said to someone recently, infertility can be just as much of a sign of autoimmune disease as a lot of other things. And she goes, those two are not related. And I said, well, we don't know yet, right? And I think a lot of times in medicine or in science in general, we only want to talk about the things we know. But there's so much we're learning about the body on a daily basis, especially now during COVID, it's been sort of revelation time, right? Right. And I think that's what's intriguing to me about healthcare is that, like I remember growing up, Oftentimes, a kid came to school with like a little line on their right pelvis, and it was like, yeah, I had my appendix taken out over the weekend. At the time, we were like, yeah, you don't really need it. Every, <laughs> half, half the people had it taken out, right? Yeah. And now I know that if you're one of those kids with that little scar on your hip, you're 85% more likely to come see me. And it became very clear to me that we we had this notion of things we don't understand what is, well... Hey, we take it out of a couple of people if they don't seem like they're going to fold, then it probably doesn't matter. Right. And then there's that whole 10,000 years of life before allopathic medicine. Exactly. That it's been there. It's, it's kind of worked. The way that I look at it is like, then we since learned that the microbiome was the most important thing. Think of the appendix as the pantry to the microbiome. It's where you put a little away, you have a little extra you can take. It's almost like having a house in Florida but with a broken thermostat, it's either hot or cold right. and you can do nothing about mm-hmm. it. And so I think that's the thing that has been the most intriguing for me in healthcare is that there's so many unanswered questions. Well, gut biome, uh, there was a, I'm not going to remember what it was, some some David Attenborough special on Netflix or whatever. They went to like these, these indigenous tribes in South America, Africa, like in the jungles and in the, like just untouched by technology and they did a a gut biome study of them and they have things in their bodies that haven't existed in western people in like a thousand years so eating wonder bread not good for the gut biome also not a sponsor wonder bread (laughs) but i think that's the whole point right is like 20 years from now, you and me will be going there. Right. That's going to be our travel in the future. I know. We're not going to go and try and see if we can buy shit somewhere else in the world. It'll be the same stuff everywhere. Right. We are literally going to be chasing health. So let's get to your platform. My Me, M-Y-M-E-E, yeah. right? What is My Me? So My Me was sort of, the reason we we used that name was because it was mirroring you, my me. It was like, it was deeply personal and it was about sort of having this doppelganger 
of data. And I think in most of us, we feel like we understand who we are. But when it really comes down to it, a lot of us have ways of talking about ourselves that are quite far from reality. I remember someone saying to me that I run four times a week. And I said, oh, since when? Because I'd never <laughs> seen him as someone. Right. And he goes, well, I remember doing it. And I thought it was the perfect example of seeing yourself as a runner mm-hmm. and, and having it be a way that you verbalize it. It's the same with pretty much everything else you do. You ask somebody how they eat, they will tell you how they eat on the perfect day. Right. But there's exceptions. Mm-hmm. And the question is how many exceptions to the rule is there? And so for us, the most important part is really to decipher what is it that's going on with this individual? And it could be mental, it could be dietary, it could be environmental. There's so many different factors. But you can actually hone in on what that is if you can ask the right questions very succinctly in the beginning. So we generally can, by applying, so we sort of have a three-prong approach. We have an app where people report data that could be their bowel movements up against what they eat, let's say if they're an IBD patient. Then we have sort of mathematical algorithms that are taking a deeper look at the body signaling up against your symptoms. And we can find the causality to pinpoint exactly what's causing your body to have this overreaction. Is there a uniformity across all people that this always correlates to that? I wish. No. That's unfortunately the the one thing about autoimmune disease is that there's no one size fits all. Mm -hmm. But what we are seeing is that new patterns are emerging. So maybe when we take 50 lupus patients, very rarely do we have anything but 50 different interventions. But we're starting to see that the tail matters, for example. And by tail, I mean... If people came in with respiratory childhood stuff, they're more likely to have the same triggers. Or you came in from a digestive path, or you came in from a cancerous fibroid mesh. Or you came in from living next to a landfill. Those those like typically me. seems to <laughs> Thank you, Staten Island. I I my school growing up was built on an old garbage lot. Wow, we have with, literally, asbe- with asbestos ceilings oh, just to like finish it well, off. I think you win this loud. But <laughs> but yeah, Staten Island was like the country's largest landfill yeah. for like fifty years growing. And I right there. Hi, landfill growing up. Nothing nothing to see here. I had headaches every day as a child. And we talked about it, you know, especially after I got sick and stuff. And my parents said, but it was funny because we never really thought about it. Right. It was just a part of how things were. So this is really all like the jargon of social determinants of health in yeah. a sense, right? Which is like the shit you're born into versus the shit that happens to you becomes the shit that happens to you. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> so you're trying to untangle all of that and yeah. find these patterns. What have you, any, any one conclusive, this is that? I mean, I know it's kind of like kind of one for different people, but have you figured out if you're born in Los Angeles breathing smog, you're going to get rheumatoid arthritis. Is there anything of that direct corollary? So like, for example, if you're born in my city in Denmark, you have over 80% higher chance of having a thyroid issue than anywhere else in Denmark. Why is that? So, the landfill? <laughs> we, we actually think it's an ion thing, but mm. there's no solution yet. And I think that's a big part of my me is we don't care so much about the solution. I believe true innovation comes from observing something, being able to replicate it, and then maybe a decade or two, someone will find the actual answer for why it is. Basically science. <laughs> Basically science. <laughs> but I think for us, 
if I can take somebody out of a wheelchair by taking broccoli and cauliflower off them, or in my own case, I, I was barely able to walk up a flight of stairs at 27. And here I am. All I've done is take out chicken. So it's like these triggers. But how did you identify that it was specifically chicken? Did you just like go off chicken for a month or go off beef for a month? And so, you know. so my thing was actually, I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. So my thing was more that I noticed I was feeling a lot better when I was eating a lot of beef. Mm. So I just started eating the beef around the clock. At some point, it became clear that probably wasn't the best model either. <laughs> but still, whenever I didn't eat beef, I could see my numbers sort of, you know, dishevel. And so it was only after uh, New Yorkers will actually pretty much all of the country by now will, will know this. But Sweet Greens, when they opened, their re opening reception, <laughs> they served all of these very healthy salads and everything was like clean and farm to table and whatever. And I had to leave because my stomach was not happy. Mm. But I had all the ingredients and I went home and I put them in my Excel spreadsheet and it became clear that I had overlooked pretty much the most important thing, which was it wasn't that beef was good for me. It is when I eat beef, I don't eat chicken. Oh, wow. So it was, it was a aha moment more than anything for myself. But of course, that fat into the theory that we then built the company on. Right. So again, so that's the model by which your your AI, your yeah. meta-based AI. Yeah. And, and so what we do, lastly, just to finish, so we, we have people use phones to record things, we find causalities, and then we take those machine insights and hand them over to our clinical care team. And those health coaches then take your hand and help you through essentially turning these insights into behavior change. So there's human-to-human -human interactions, yes. and there's an app, and there's AI. Yeah. So it's a, a, a very comprehensive ecosystem. Yeah. Well, you call it AI, we call it data analytics. I think most companies, they, they brag that they have AI, but a lot of companies don't have enough data to well, do it like, in a true form. Well, you're not speaking to a, like a, a browser saying, show me a picture of Obama as a chicken, no. right? And it makes a picture of, <laughs> that's creepy AI. <laughs> All right. We'll probably get there sooner. <laughs> Data analytics. Okay, fine. I've been course corrected. So, so just again, like this whole idea of what are the things you can prevent? Don't eat chicken. But what are the things you can't prevent? Living near a dumpster, living with smog. Like if, if, I'm reading here that there are environmental factors. What are the ones you can and can't control? If, if, if you live off $800 – and therefore is unable to move away from a home that molds and mold infested, that is a hard escape. And so in those cases, we actually help people try and live under these less than perfect circumstances by the use of, let's say, activated charcoal and other and other remedies. But the reality is obviously is always to aim for removal of severe triggers. All right. One more question because I, I was reading you you Re, I was going to retweet you, re-linked in <laughs> an article um, from MIT Tech Review that the quest to show that biological sex matters in the immune system, I can imagine this opens up a whole floodgate of conversations and opinions. It does, but not for people who've been in it because we've always known it. Right. It, there's, I mean, it's not a gender issue, but it's kind of a gender issue. It is. The, the, the interesting thing is that We've always had this issue. It's just now it's been proven out. If you think about it, how many drugs, like I, I took drugs in my time where they were only tested on men because if you tested them on women, it, it would be impossible because of the hormonal changes. Right. 
but we still gave them to women and men. And, you know, that's just sort of how we've, we've done things. I think for autoimmune disease, you didn't have to be a detective because over 80% of people with one autoimmune disease are women. And if you're looking at multifactorial, that goes up to 90%. So, so this is pure biology. Yeah. So did I luck out? With just the cancer? I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I didn't look out. Well, we're starting to see certain autoimmune diseases, particularly now with the COVID infection, um, actually hit disproportionately men, like ankylitis, spondylitis, for example. Right. Then you can question yourself whether is that actually true? Because we've just now also, as a part of this whole science experiment called life, figured out that women don't show ankylitis, spondylitis in their, their um, MRIs the way men do. So it could be that even though they actually display the same symptoms, it just takes a lot longer because they don't sort of have the test results to prove it. All right. Last question. You can't eat chicken. Can you eat eggs? So it's, it's a question I've had quite a lot. I don't eat a ton of eggs, but I can easily eat eggs. They don't make you break out in hives and triple your size and your hair falls out. No. Okay. But they're always organic. They're always, you know, farm, farm raised, farm raised yeah. and everything else. All the fancy bougie stuff we need. Yeah. I am a New Yorker. Hey, tried and true. <laughs> a Viking goes. goddess right here in New York. <laughs> Meta Dyberg is the founder and CEO of MyMe. And uh, I'm going to just christen you as the senior femtech badass of Offscript Health. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining me on Out of Patience. Thank you so much, man. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us, and we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com.